0: This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio and now in its 25th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. How long will the shortage of used cars last? We'll have a new report for you on that. And Ram has introduced some new truck models. We'll tell you who they are targeting coming up. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack Neerad. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Uh, Chris, we're talking coast-to-coast as we typically do. Uh, did you have a good week? What was your week like?
1: I did. We, uh, As I mentioned last week, our Just around the edge of fall, so we're doing fall sports with the kids, uh, raking some leaves, which is probably my least favorite part of fall, but uh, really kind of settling in because winter is coming, as they say. So how are things on your side of the world?
0: Uh, Just crazy. I came back from a 10-day trip and found tons of leaves in uh, my front yard, so that's one chore I have to get get after. I guess it's that time of year. That's just what we're we're looking at here. So um, (laughs) fall is upon us, I guess. Also upon us is a really good guest. Scott Keogh is president and CEO of Volkswagen Group of America. He's head of the Volkswagen brand for the North American region. This guy is a big shooter. Uh, He's also a great guy, and I love talking to him. I've interviewed him several times, and we'll have that interview for you coming up. He has some very interesting things to say about Volkswagen's future in the United States, and it's going to be quite an interesting future, I have a feeling. So uh, we'll take a look at that. Uh, in the road test segment, Chris, you have an interesting vehicle. Maybe a, a, not a vehicle that's uh, all that well known to many of our listeners. Tell us about it.
1: True. It was my first time behind the wheel. It was the Lexus UX Hybrid and the uh, F-Sport trim. Very interesting vehicle.
0: Well, we will talk about that. And I took a long road trip. I, as I said, I just came back from a long road trip, which involve, involved uh, road testing two different vehicles. But the one we're going to talk about today is the Ford Bronco Sport. Uh, we drove throughout western Michigan, up and down the coast of western Michigan, uh, going through some old haunts of mine that uh, date way, way back. So we will talk a bit about that in the road test segment as well. But before that, we'll have the latest in automotive news from around the globe. So stick around for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nerad with you, and we're so glad you're with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Christine Jackney Red with you it is news time news from the automotive world and boy this uh, used car pandemic hangover that we're seeing just the uh, paucity of new cars in the marketplace There just aren't new car- used cars to be bought new cars to be bought for that matter too and uh, we're getting news on that uh, this time around this could last some are saying four years <laughs> kind of amazing as automakers are having difficulty building new vehicles people are flocking to buy used vehicles and thus there aren't very many used vehicles on lots when I was traveling uh, this past week uh, I drove by many many a car dealership and there just wasn't much inventory out there what's what's the situation where you are chris
1: I can say the same thing you know new new car lots here there's a Volkswagen dealership near my house I think I counted 7 vehicles on their lot I mean these aren't giant lots to begin with but There are a lot of bald spots in the parking lots around here.
0: Absolutely true. Of course, we have talked about the microchip shortage at length, and it doesn't seem like there's a solution to that. But another thing that I think is less talked about is the fact that uh, many automakers shut down the production of new vehicles for well over a month. Uh, a year or so ago. And that has a ripple effect. It's, you know, that old rat going through the, uh, the snake or something like that. Uh, it has a ripple effect on what's going on in the market now, and will continue to have that effect uh, over time. We've lost millions of units of production, and they're never coming back.
1: Yeah, I agree. To get a used car, you have to make it, you have to sell it. Somebody has to drive it, and then sell it back in. So that's quite a bit of a turnaround there. And just anecdotally, I have a friend who owns a used car lot uh, in Tennessee, and you know she's telling me that they have trouble getting inventory, and they're surviving mostly on their uh, service right now. So uh, as much as it hurts for but to try to be a buyer right now, it actually does hurt to be a uh, retailer right now too.
0: Absolutely. I've seen uh, used car retailers advertise for stock, asking people to come in, hey, sell us your car. If you've got a car just sitting in your driveway, well, we'd like to buy it. Uh, And they've gone to the extent of actually putting notes on cars (laughs) saying, hey, you want to sell this? Uh, Come into uh, our dealership and uh, we'll give you a good price. So kind of crazy stuff going on in terms of the used vehicle market and the new vehicle market as well. Wild out there.
1: Yeah, you know, I might start listening to those uh, spam ads I get in the mail saying, sell us your used car, but it might be a good time to do that, although trying to buy another one would be quite difficult right now.
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing. If you have to replace a car, uh, it's one thing to sell it and get top dollar, but then you're going (laughs) to pay more than top dollar for the next car, so uh, that makes it tough. Well, there are new vehicles coming into the marketplace, and Ram has introduced some new trucks. They did it at the State Fair of Texas, which is kind of, has kind of a cool auto show associated with it. Uh, and of course, uh, corn dogs and uh, funnel cakes and all, all the stuff you find at a, a state fair is a lot of fun. The 2022 Ram 1500 TRX Ignition Edition was introduced there, and um, it was... It's been limited to 875 units, and it is another version of the quickest, fastest, and most powerful mass-produced truck in the world. So in addition to the 1500 TRX Ignition Edition, and you have to watch the way you say that, there is a new Ram 1500 Longhorn South Fork Edition. And so that, I think, it probably goes the way of the King Ranch uh, that uh, Ford Motor Company puts out on its F-150 and then there is a Ram Red Edition. It is in limited crew cab configurations, and it offers the choice of both the V8 engines and the EcoDiesel. I love that. It features a red Ram grille and door badging. Red badging is a new trend. We've had black badging for a long time. Now here is the Red Edition. I wonder what color they're going to next. What do you think, Chris?
1: Uh, Well, probably yellow. I don't know, maybe orange. But I do have to say about the TRX Ignition Edition, uh, that bright orange paint job that it comes with, uh, as if that truck needed more to grab your attention as it was. I think that's uh, one of the most eye-catching trucks or maybe even vehicles on the market today.
0: Absolutely. And we have loved the TRX. Uh, I'm surprised that I don't see more of them on the road. Of course, it's a limited edition. Uh, It has a pretty hefty price. It starts at $91,585 plus $1,700 in destination charge. So uh, that's pretty stiff. And then you have this Longhorn South Fork model. uh, I think more luxury oriented. It has a mountain brown interior uh, with bucket seats and suede door bolsters. So that's good. It's $61,000. And then the red edition, that's probably the, well, I'm not sure whether it's the bargain of the bunch or not. It starts at $63,000. It has red all over the place. So <laughs> I guess if you like that, that's cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I think I agree with you on the uh, the Ford F-150 uh, King Ranch comparison with the the Longhorn thing there. You know, Ram has done such a good job with their interiors in the recent years. So uh, I can't wait to see it, although, you know, 61620 bucks. Uh, it's, quite a steep ask even still. Although with the used market the way it is we just talked about, that may be a bargain. You never know.
0: Yeah, uh, the way prices have been escalating, it's really amazing. And uh, the vehicles I have been driving recently, I'm always, I'm always uh, off by maybe five, ten thousand dollars $10,000 on how much I expect them to cost. And I'm starting to guess high these days because you can buy a compact SUV, for example, for well over thirty thousand dollars and probably close to forty thousand dollars without any difficulty at all. And uh, of course, that's the most popular uh, body style right now in the marketplace. But it's uh, kind of mind-boggling how these prices are escalating. I guess it's part of overall inflation that we're experiencing.
1: Yeah, and you know, I think you know you could probably blame it a little bit on extra technology and safety features and things that cost extra, cost additional money. But uh, you're absolutely right.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, we've talked a bit about the microchip shortage and the the, uh, lack of new vehicles. Mercedes Benz customers uh, in Europe are waiting more than a year for their new new vehicle. I mean, (laughs) think about that, Chris. You say, oh, I, I think I need a new car. I go in and order. Of course, they order cars in Europe much more so than we do here. Here, we typically buy vehicles off the lot, in Europe, they order cars and then they're willing to wait, but not a year or so. That's just incredible amounts of time to wait for a car. How, how would you like to have to put up with that?
1: Yeah, I can't remember the last time that I said, you know what, let's, well, first of all, it's always me suggesting that we buy a new car and then there's a negotiation with my wife about which one and how much we spend, but uh, it's never a year in advance. We never, that's never like part of the thought process. So uh, I couldn't imagine, I mean, that would require a lot of planning, I guess, uh, to find the right vehicle. And then the timing to get the right vehicle.
0: Right. Uh, there is a celebration in Europe when you get a new car. A lot of uh, customers actually go to the factory and watch their car being built. I I have experienced that myself, not for me, but I've seen others at, at the factories as I've been on factory tours. And that's a fairly typical practice over there is you order the car, uh, then they say, okay, it's going to be built, not typically 12 months from now, but some months from now, and you make your way to the factory, and um, they enable you to uh, watch the whole assembly process. It's, it's kind of an amazing uh, little way of doing business.
1: Yeah, I'm surprised that more uh, American automakers don't do that. It'd be cool to, you know, head up and watch your F-150 roll off the, the line. But uh, I know you can do that with a Volvo from here. I just didn't know that uh, so many others were doing that. It's really interesting.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think they're set up to do it here. I was just on a factory tour recently, and I don't think a bunch of consumers (laughs) walking through the uh, building is is going to work for them. But uh, for some of these luxury cars in in particular, uh, there's a lot of that going on. So uh, we'll have to see how that develops over time. And we'll have to see what's going to happen with used car prices. What's your prediction for used car prices over the next 12 months? He said putting you on the spot, Chris. (laughs)
1: Prediction. Well, I do think they're going to remain high. I don't know how much higher they're going to climb. I will say I'm mostly concerned about the sort of sub uh, collector car market. I was talking with someone yesterday about uh, these 80s and 90s vehicles and how their prices have already climbed. And now they're climbing even higher because people are now starting to use them for their commuters as, as they can't buy new cars or used cars. So I think for me, who is looking to buy, you know, a 90s, 2000s car in the next few years, uh, that's my biggest concern, although, you know, it will be interesting to see what the actual retail used car market does in the next you know 36 months or so,
0: yeah, it's going to be fascinating. You know, one of the things that used to fuel the used car market and still to some extent, but much less so, is the rental car market. A lot of vehicles go into rental fleets and then they come out as used vehicles. Essentially, rental car companies are, are manufacturing used vehicles for sale, and that just hasn't happened with travel so much down. Uh, as I say, I was traveling recently, and some people are resorting to renting u-haul trucks because of the scarcity of uh, rental cars out there it's just a, a wild scene right now and hopefully we can get uh, all of this back together soon because it's, it's crazy out there right now
1: yeah i don't think my family will be super uh excited about vacation in a u-haul truck not that there's anything wrong with a U u-haul truck but uh <laughs> i can think of better options
0: yeah it'll be easy to find in the parking lot i would say that <laughs> Uh, but everything else about renting a U-Haul truck, I'm, I'm, they're not really equipped to haul people, <laughs> for one thing. They're, no, not at all. They're equipped to haul stuff. So unless you're going to put your kids in a box uh, you know, and heavily pad them, uh, it's probably not the best situation for them. No, not at all. Well, when we come back, we will be road testing some vehicles that we were actually able to obtain. And Chris, you were driving the uh, Lexus UX Hybrid. And I took a long, long trip in the Ford Bronco Sport. So we'll tell you both about we'll tell you about both when we come back. Stay with us for that right here on America on the Road. <music> Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris T. Jack right back with you, and it is road test time on America on the Road, and we're excited about the vehicles we have this time around. And well, we should, because we have a Lexus hybrid for you, and um, probably new to many of you, although it's been on the market for a few years. Uh, so, Chris, why don't you tell us a bit about the Lexus UX?
1: Absolutely. This is the uh, Lexus UX Hybrid. So there is a gas-powered only version of this vehicle, but I tested the hybrid. Um, and it's F-Sport trim, which is, uh, as the name suggests, a sportier, sharper version of this uh, vehicle with options that it came in a little bit more than $40,000. Uh, I think it starts right around $35,000. So, Uh, you can get it a little bit less expensive than the version I had. But it's powered by a 2.0-liter four-cylinder engine. It has two electric motors that combine for uh, 181 horsepower front-wheel drive is standard, but my version had all-wheel drive uh, Continuously variable transmission is also on board that sends powers to all the four wheels uh, Really good gas mileage in this one as you would expect from a hybrid especially from uh, an SUV or a small crossover hybrid uh, Right around 41 miles per gallon in the city is what the EPA advertises uh, The computer told me that I averaged right around 40.5. So not too far off from that and uh, most of the driving that i did was running the kids to school heading to the grocery store uh pretty much the target audience uh, target audience driving style for this vehicle so uh, i think i tested it in its uh, intended environment but uh really like the f-sport trim styling it's it's extremely sharp it's got dark uh, trim pieces on the outside and though it doesn't add a more powerful engine and the you know loud exhaust or anything like that i think that Lexus does a decent job of differentiating their F-Sport vehicles from the standard lineup. Uh, And Jack, I know you probably have some opinions about Lexus. You know I'm kind of a fanboy, but uh, what do you think about the F-Sport packages?
0: I think they started out weak and have gotten progressively stronger. And I, uh, the reason I think they started out weak is they were just appearance kind of things. And they, they didn't do anything to the vehicle other than uh, make it look sportier, but they didn't do anything about performance. So it looked like a performance vehicle, but didn't really have it. But I think since that time, they've done more and more. Not Maybe not so much on the UX, but on a lot of their other vehicles. They're really starting to get into uh, making a sport version of a lot of the the vehicles out there, and they have great platforms on which to base that. So I'm excited about where F Sport is going to go within Lexus. I think it's a, a great thing for the enthusiasts out there.
1: I agree. So the F Sport package for the UX, you're right, it doesn't turn into a hot rod or anything like that. But it does add Sport Tune suspension. It's got 18-inch wheels with run-flat tires uh, and some neat uh, interior and exterior trim, as I just mentioned. But one thing that drives me crazy about the F-Sport package specifically in this vehicle is there's a synthetic engine sound that the computer pipes into the, the camera. Cabin. So when you're driving, uh, you can barely hear the engine itself or the transmission, which would generally be generally be a very good thing in a luxury vehicle like a Lexus. But uh, there's this fake engine noise that's piped in. that doesn't seem to have anything to do with the engine speed or the vehicle speed. Uh, and it's really confusing and disorienting when you're slowing down and and things like that. I couldn't find a way to turn it off. Maybe there is a way. But uh, I think that was one one big thing that that turned me off a uh, a little bit. But uh, this vehicle had the upgraded 10.3 inch infotainment screen. It's got Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, wireless charging, navigation. Really great technology. The optional heads up display is excellent. Uh, even with polarized sunglasses on, it's very colorful and you can see. It's better than even the one in my uh, Volvo XC90 that we own, which I always have trouble seeing with with uh, My polarized sunglasses on and the interior of this vehicle it's a very small compact SUV but it's an it's comfortable there's enough room for four people had no trouble fitting the kids in the back you know we always talk about how tall I am so at six feet tall there was none of the sort of jockeying for position between my eight-year-old daughter behind me in her booster seat and me in the the driver's seat she had plenty of leg room I had plenty of leg room and even as small as the vehicle is, there was still plenty of headroom as well. Uh, the sunroof didn't cut that cut into that too too badly. The interior, as I mentioned, you you have barely any perception of what's going on under the hood. So for some people, that's going to be kind of a bummer if you like driving and you're an enthusiast. But for the Lexus buyer who is looking for an, a, a luxurious vehicle, it's reasonably quiet. Even on the highway, the wind noise is down. You don't get a lot of whining from the, the engine and the transmission, which sometimes uh, CVTs do. Uh, but one thing I will say is, you know even with 181 horsepower there's not going to be any hair raising acceleration here in town it's perfectly fine it's fine getting up to highway speeds but again you're not going to be uh you know racing getting any any drag races you're winning here but all in all you know just enough power to to make things uh interesting and get you from point a to point b without much fuss uh one thing i will say there's plenty of cargo room in the back i've got about a 70 pound dog he's a hound dog shepherd mix uh took him to the vet he fit back there just fine, although he was a little bit cramped up against the the glass because it is a little short. But one thing I will say is that the load floor is, floor is pretty tall, so if you have trouble lifting, you know, bags and packages, or in my case, a 70-pound dog up into the back of the vehicle, it's a little bit taller than some people would like. But I think it's a comfortable, nice city runabout. It's very quiet with decent tech. The only thing there is the touchpad controller. But even that I got used to after a few days. So uh, all in all, good job, Lexus, on the uh, UXF Sport.
0: Oh, very good. And I'm glad you like that. Uh, I think we as auto journalists have kind of, uh, we're reaping what we sowed. When we talk about engine sounds, then the car companies want to respond to that, and sometimes they do it with in a bogus way, right? They just pipe in sounds. They, uh, they used to tune exhausts so they'd sound great. Now they just come up with sounds and they pipe it into the cabin, which is kind of amusing to me, but... Uh... Like I say, we reap what we sow. And I was I was driving the Ford Bronco Sport, and I had the opportunity to do this in some old haunts. I was born in the Chicago area, and we used to go up to uh, northern uh, lower Michigan on vacation. I had a chance to do that again. Some friends of ours uh, have bought a lake house up there. Oddly, they're from Southern California. But they bought a lake house in northern uh, Michigan, and we got a chance to go visit them and freeload off them for a couple of nights' stay. And the vehicle of choice for us was a Ford Bronco Sport, so we drove it up the west coast of Michigan, had a blast doing it. The Ford Bronco Sport, of course, is the smaller of the two Ford Broncos, and I, I think it goes through a little bit of a little brother syn- syndrome here. There are others who say, wow, it's not, it's not the big one. It's not the real Bronco. But it is a real Bronco. It's just not uh, the larger Bronco that competes with the Wrangler. This is a, a smaller vehicle, uh, but it's very off-road capable, although we didn't do a whole ton of off-roading. There are great places to do some off-roading up in northern Michigan, however. We had the Outer Banks edition, which is kind of the zooty mid-level edition of the Ford Bronco Sport. Uh, it has things like a leather-trimmed interior It has 18-inch machine-faced aluminum wheels, all-season tires, ambient lighting inside. It is, In some ways, you could say maybe it's the poser of them. It doesn't have all the off-road equipment. But I think this is a vehicle that is going to be right in the sweet spot for many people who want the Ford Bronco Sport. These are not heavy-duty off-roaders. These are people who like that off-road ability now and again. And uh, that's just what we found in the Ford Bronco Sport. What's your take, Bronco Sport versus Bronco, Chris? I know you're a Ford guy as well.
1: Yeah, I, I like everything. No, uh, we talked about this before. It's something Subaru got right with the sort of just right mentality with their the off-roading Uh, Thing I think for a lot of people, the Broncos Sport, and myself included, as much as I love driving in the mud, uh, is that just right size, just right capability. Uh, You don't have to deal with a larger vehicle if you don't want it. It's cheaper or less expensive, I should say. Uh, And it's easier to move or in a parking lot. Uh, it's more comfortable on the road, so and it does have surprising off-road capability, as you said. Um, I tested the, I think it's called the first edition a while back, and we talked about that on the podcast. Uh, found it to be extremely comfortable, roomy for the kids, and and great for on cargo space. So, plenty of space for people, and and, and a good job, you know, in terms of being off-road capable. So, uh, unless you need that hot, that hardcore ability, I think, you know, for most people or a lot of people, it'll be a great choice.
0: Absolutely true. That's what we found when we were driving. Plenty of cargo room. I think one of the things they did uh, very, very right in designing the Bronco Sport is the way they um, made the profile. It's got a raised, I guess, kind of safari type uh, rear section, very squared off, and it thus holds a lot of stuff, a, a lot more stuff than the typical compact SUV, that is for certain. Uh, so that's good if you wanted to uh, put two uh, mountain bikes back there for example you can do that we didn't do that we put a lot of suitcases back there and stuff that we purchased including some fudge from Doug Murdick's fudge which is really terrific there in Traverse City Michigan enjoyed that and uh, we often use this you know pretty much as you would use any kind of vehicle uh, and it uh, handled just fine that way it didn't beat us up we didn't feel like oh wow we're in this off-roading vehicle that's just clobbering us and yet at the same time it does have the goat modes the goes over any terrain uh, modes in this instance I think we had normal eco sports slippery and sand mode slippery and sand is one mode by the way so that's four modes and uh, we used them all and enjoyed every one of them Uh, has an independent front and rear suspension One of the interesting things about the vehicle is, in this trim, is it has a three-cylinder turbocharged engine. So not something you see every day. Uh, The basic engine is an EcoBoost engine, 1.5 liters, 181 horsepower. That 181 horsepower comes as you rev the thing up, which is not an unfamiliar performance from a turbocharged vehicle. So had plenty of power for the highway. We were on uh, many highways and uh, many byways, uh, some scenic byways as well uh, in this trip. So Just all in all, we like this vehicle a lot. I think for somebody who wants that off-road persona, aspires to that, wants to do some light off-roading or some medium-duty off-roading, this certainly has that capability. All of them are 4x4s all the time, so you have that going for you, and the various modes. I I think this is a really good all-around choice that you can commute in during the week. And then go off kayaking or mountain biking or whatever you want to do on the weekends. I think it's a, a really good choice. What's your take on on that overall, Chris?
1: Totally agree. And I have an appreciation for the three-cylinder engine. Uh, I drove a similar model in the Ford Escape a couple of years ago. Uh, very buzzy. Uh, responsive. So absolutely no complaints there. Uh, And if I had to pick a Bronco today, as much as I would love to have the larger one, I would have to be reasonable and say that the smaller Bronco sport would be the right one for me. And I think, as I said earlier, uh, the right one for a lot of people too. So totally agree.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Nicely styled. Uh, I think a good value. Uh, This ran into the $30,000 range. So not exactly cheap, but as I say, all four by four all the time. So a lot of opportunity to have fun in this vehicle, both on and off-road. And as I say, it does not beat you up on the highway and has plenty of acceleration and uh, good handling as well on those two-lane roads that I experienced in in northern Michigan. So we had a great time in the Ford Bronco Sport, the Outer Banks edition. And uh, you, of course, seem to uh, really enjoy the Lexus UX hybrid didn't you Chris
1: it was great for what we used it for just get rid of those uh, fake engine noises and it'll be perfect
0: <laughs> there you go and when we come back we will be doing our interview with Scott Keo who is the president and CEO of Volkswagen of America stay with us for that with Chris Teague, this is Jack red and we're so glad you're with us right here on America on the road welcome back everybody to America on the road with you and uh, we were in Chattanooga, Tennessee, I think, or at least the environs thereof, uh, a town that has been taken over by Volkswagen, I think. Uh, we're at the uh, Volkswagen factory here, employing thousands of people in southeastern Tennessee. With me is Scott Keogh; He is the president and uh, CEO of uh, Volkswagen here in America. Thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate it.
2: Jack, it's a, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. I don't know if we've taken over Volkswagen, but certainly taken over Chattanooga. But certainly our plant has a proud and great presence here for sure.
0: Absolutely, a big footprint here, and I think people are very proud of what you're doing here. And I know your factory workers here are very proud of what they're doing. Let's talk a bit about the business. I can't imagine a more challenging two years <laughs> than we have just experienced, right? I mean, uh, you you are a, a big uh, veteran of this business, as I am. Tell us how it has been for Volkswagen over the last couple of years here in the United States.
2: Well, look, I, I think we have to separate two things. I, I think, you know, as well as I do, the pandemic and the virus is just a absolute uh, nightmare, public health nightmare. Uh, and the impact on employees and families and everything is, is, is tragic. And there's, there's no other word for it. I think as Volkswagen, though, uh, putting that aside, I think I'm quite proud of how we've navigated the pandemic. I think if you look back uh, into March, those early days of COVID, when we shut down this plant here for eight weeks we shut down our factory in puebla for 11 weeks and i think you remember all the experts were saying the u.s car market would go down 80 80 percent so when you're running a company and you hear that the market's going to go down 80% and your two plants are shut, you can have some sleepless nights. Big time, <laughs> uh, big time. I mean, very unprecedented big time. kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, unprecedented. It
0: makes the uh, recession of 2008, <laughs> 2009 pale in comparison. Quite mild, to that kind of thing. quite, quite right? mild. Yeah. And,
2: and Look, I think we said a couple of things. One, we said we're going to look after our employees. So while our employees certainly weren't in the factory, they were paid. And we made sure everyone had their medical coverage and was taken care of because we knew it was going to bounce back. And when it bounced back, we wanted to make sure the employees were here to bounce back. If I look now coming out of it, actually, the market was quite strong and uh, uh, coming out of the end of last year and then moving through this year. You know, in fact, early this year, we were doing 40,000 cars a month consistently. We haven't done that since 1972, 1973. So it was a a real return of the glory days and and it felt great. Um, as you also know, we are impacted by the shortage as well of, of semiconductors. And of course, we've had to close this plant for two weeks. We closed our plant in Puebla for three weeks, just uh, just about a month or two ago. But I look at the bright side. If you look at the business fundamentals, yes, supply is tight. But stock at our dealerships is extremely tight. Turn rates is up. Incentive spend is down. Margin is up. So there's been some business dynamics that I think have been quite good for Volkswagen. So yes, we'd like to sell more cars. We'd like to have more stock, but the margin and the health of the business, frankly, has never been better.
0: Yeah. When you lose production like that, I mean, there's kind of no way to make it back, is there? And that has, it's the rat going through the snake, right? I mean, talk a bit about how that affects the...
2: No, you're, you're exactly right. I, I think first and foremost, just to get into the, the, the chip issue itself is, look, I think there is absolutely undersupply that is structural and permanent for the next couple of years. And I've heard numbers anywhere from 10 to 20% undersupply. And of course, you're not gonna fix that immediately because you build a factory, billions of dollars in investment. Then you take that already, let's say structural undersupply and you throw in so many of the dynamics. The dynamics of Americans have a fair amount of cash to spend, whether it's through uh, government uh, lack of spending on the consumer side, whether it's through uh, government incentives. On top of the fact that of course, Sensors are driving everything <laughs> right. from your refrigerator to your dryer, to your uh, washing machine. And that's, of course, led to other chaos in the business, which, of course, is supply chains, COVID and everything else. So it's led to some chaos out there. Uh, but obviously, this is the chaos where uh, we're navigating and we'll continue to navigate it.
0: Well, and I think one of the reasons you were able to get through this so successfully was you had positioned yourself for the recovery before it even began, right? I mean, you had really positioned the brand to do well in the American market well before. Talk a bit about that, would you?
2: Yeah, no, you're right. And and, and look, I think uh, Volkswagen had a few struggles. And I think first and foremost, the struggles was mix. Uh, We're a brand that came of fame in terms of the driving characteristics of the car. We sold, whether you call it the Golf or, or the Rabbit, as a hatchback, and of course, the Jetta and the Passat. So sedans and hatchbacks drove our business. Just a few years ago, 16% of our business was SUVs, 16. The American market is closer to 70% SUVs. Right. So, of course, there was this disconnect. We've rapidly corrected that disconnect. We localized the Atlas here, which you know quite well, two products humming down the line as we go. And then, of course, now we make two SUVs down in Pueblo as well. So we have these four SUVs in the market. And if I look at the last couple of months, 72 73% of our sales have come from SUVs. So we righted that huge one. The second thing we've done is we've gotten our mojo back with the brand. I think we paid our dues. We paid our penance with the TDI madness, but we've come out of it and we've got our mojo back and the American consumer is rooting for us again. And then Jack, as I'm sure you want to talk about, we're set up for the future with electrification. And obviously you've driven the ID4 and obviously you're down here where we're making the car, but I think that positions us very well for the future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Before we get past SUVs though, Yeah. I just want to emphasize, not only do you have them, but they're really, really good, right? And they're really, really good. They're spot on for the market. And the consumer response is showing that. Talk a bit.
2: No, exactly right. I think if you look at the Atlas, sales are getting stronger and stronger month in and month out, year in and year out. So it's a sign you have a good car when it continues to get stronger. And frankly, we've never had enough of the Atlas. We've never had enough of the seven seater and not enough of the Atlas Crossport, the five seater. So absolute home run product. And if you want to look at the real transformation of the entire region, it's you know a hundred thousand Passats that used to be made in this plant. Right now, one hundred fifty thousand
0: sedans being made here.
2: Whole different world. Yeah,
0: whole different world. And, and then the, and the, the, right the, in the right in the middle of the market. Right
2: in the middle of the market. And then the other home run uh, is is of course we just launched the Taos, as you know. And I think ASUVs make up about fifty percent of the U.S. car market. You have a Taos that's twenty two thousand dollar car. 31 miles per gallon, fuel efficient, good performance. And talk about hitting the ground running.
0: I mean, those were practically a sellout right from the get-go, weren't they?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, we did 7,000 the first month. It was our number one seller right off the bat. And uh, we did 7,000 the next month, and now, obviously, uh, chips are catching up a little bit. But uh, it's nice when, uh, you know, sometimes you take a swing and you get a single up the middle, but this was just crack. Out of the park, home run, first day. Dealer said it, customers said it, the press said it, and uh, you feel when you have a hit in this business, you know it quite, quite, quite rapidly because you know the dealers obviously in uh, touch with me all the time. It felt really good.
0: Yeah. Well, talk about hits. We were driving one today, the ID4. Yep. This was the all-wheel drive version. Yep. Uh, it's already been a hit as a, a two-wheel drive version, yep. correct? Correct. Um, give our uh, listeners a little bit of facts about ID4. What it means to you guys.
2: Yeah, I I think the first thing is this uh, is this moment. And uh, when we made the decision to invest in this plant, of course, electrification was sort of a big question mark. Maybe next year, maybe next year. I think if you look fast forward three years, Wall Street has basically said that's the bet. We will value your company if you've made appropriate setup in terms of electrification. I think if you look at consumers, the market is basically doubled from last year. So it's about almost 3% of the market. It was 1.5% of the market. And I think, look, it's a topical conversation each and every day. What are you as a company doing on climate change? Then you throw in the Biden administration, which, of course, increased incentives, and obviously wanting to drive electrification. And the throwing numbers out there of 40 to 50% by 2030. So the investment here was absolutely prescient and absolutely perfect. What I'm happiest about is we have the right product. First and foremost, the ID4 sits in the biggest segment in America. The number, frankly, we're fanatical about is what I call price to range, because that's what the American consumer wants. How much range can I get for this price? And I think if you look at the ID4, it has it In spades, without a doubt. So the car is positioned right. If you look at the price point of the car, it's going out the door after the consumer incentives of close to $34,000. You're getting technology not seen in and RAV4s and, uh, and, uh, and and the Honda. And in our mind, that's exactly what we want to do. The trick is not to offer an $85,000 electric car or $120,000 electric car. Right. The and trick is the to taxpayer drive adoption. subsidize
0: that purchase, right? Amen. It's kind of crazy.
2: Amen. And it's, <laughs> right. Amen. And, and it's working. Uh, yeah. w- you've seen the numbers uh, last night. About 85% of the buyers have never been an electric car before. They're trading in RAV4s. They're trading in Subarus and Hondas. And, and they haven't been on the
0: Volkswagen brand, frankly, either, right? And that's got to be... Uh, Exciting to you. Precisely.
2: And obviously what you want in life is a competitive advantage. And right now those three brands don't have a product like this. We do have a product like this and we're localizing the product. And uh, frankly, it's exciting. You know, the line I like the best. What dealers say to me is they call me up and they say, "Scott, we haven't had excitement on the showroom like this since 1998 when we did the, the revival of the Beetle," and that's the kind of excitement on the showroom floors, which is uh, which is exactly what you want. Now, the car you drove, I think, is exactly what the doctor ordered. I love the rear wheel drive, but adding 100 horsepower, 300 horsepower, all-wheel drive. Yeah,
0: when you throw in 100 horsepower (laughs) and all-wheel drive, and the handling of this thing, I mean, that's what really kind of struck me today as I was driving this morning, was I could, uh, this is sports car-like handling. I'm I'm driving a compact SUV, crossover SUV, like you say, the most popular segment in the country, and I feel like I'm driving a sports car. I've got plenty of power, like seamless power and torque, Yep. It's just a beautiful thing, yeah, and exactly what the consumer wants, I think.
2: Yeah, Jack, I, I, th- I think you've nailed it. I mean, I think you know the dynamics of the car are quite good. That's what Volkswagen always does well. We want to take what we know from GTIs and GLIs and these dynamic cars. The proportions of the car right. The balance is right. you got a low center of gravity. you got all the weight down low. Uh, and then of course uh, what electric gives you instant torque instant pop and you put that in this package and uh yeah it's, it's a fun car
0: and you have a ton of utility too i mean this is a, a pure a absolute five passenger vehicle where five adults can can be comfortable in it tons of room for cargo yeah and it's a great looking vehicle on top of it walk yep. our listeners kind of through the price points a little bit on, on the car
2: it's a relatively straightforward story. I think one, of course, we wanted to make sure we hit a price point because if you look at the average transaction price in this segment in America, it's about $35,000. So we wanted to make sure we played in that area. You get all the technology and you get electric car. So starting with the real-wheel drive, of course, the price point is 39995 somewhere in there. That gets you the Pro S. And, of course, with the Pro S, of course, you get the $7,500. That puts the car right in the $7,500 federal tax federal credit. Federal tax credit. credit. And then, of right. the course, you have state ones on top. And as you move, basically, we kept it very simple. We basically have two packages. That's all we offered. You take the Pro S or you take the upgrade and then with the exact same thing with the all-wheel drive. The price premium to the all-wheel drive is only a few thousand dollars. So if you think of that benefit, you're getting all-wheel drive plus you're getting 100 horsepower for a few thousand dollar premium. So yeah. we think we've got an awesome value story. And uh, and uh, yeah, we can't wait to get the cars on the market.
0: Another value story you have, and I think it's kind of undersung, is the fuel savings or the cost savings on fuel. Talk a bit yeah. about that.
2: This was an important thing. When we looked at the analysis, we wanted to make sure we did everything possible <laughs> to alleviate every single barrier to buying an electric car. So first and foremost, we wanted to make sure Volkswagen dealers were trained, ready to sell this car. We wanted to have a great price point. And then of course the next barrier is, well, what about theoretical charging? And that's what we said, well, we're gonna make this super simple, it's free. So you go to any Electrify uh, America station, three years, completely free charging, Full stop, and what we're finding out actually, Jack, which is amazing, is people are fundamentally using it because now we can track the mileage, we can track what's being used. I think there's it's almost some, um,
0: incredible number, right? It's like four million miles or something. I like think it's that, almost think eight million miles it, was the last that, that I saw. Yeah, so, okay. yeah. I should through uh, have through August, my notes. <laughs> which
2: with only uh, you yeah. know let's say eleven ish thousand cars on the road, that's just phenomenal. So you put that into total cost of ownership, the value story just gets better and better. But of course, that's also 8 million miles of CO2 that was not released in the air, 8 million miles of all that comes along with it. So um, it's been a huge story. And I think what you'll see is it's becoming nearly an industry standard. I think a number of our competitors are
0: matching us. What do you think the consumers should know about Volkswagen going forward as, as we end this interview. It's gone way too fast.
2: I think first and foremost they need to know is the Volkswagen brand is back. We're a brand that Americans, uh, my family grew up in Volkswagens. I think a lot of American families grew up in Volkswagens. We're back uh, and it's time to love us again. The second thing is we're making our absolute best cars for the American market. Between the Atlas, between the Taos, custom making these cars for the U.S. market. The third thing, electrification is the future. And we're here, we fundamentally believe in climate change and we fundamentally wanna address and will address climate change.
0: And you're addressing it from right here in Chattanooga where you're going to be building electric cars.
2: Exactly, and uh, I, I don't know if you had a chance to tour it yet. But you'll see the investment is amazing. Some of the early prototype cars are coming down. We just did some testing last week, so they look great. And then the first cars that we sell to customers will come down in the middle of next year. So uh, couldn't be more exciting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Scott Keogh, thanks so much for being with us. We really do appreciate it. I hope we can do this again.
2: Jack, always a pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks so much. Stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague. This is Jack D. Red back with you. And it is listener question time as we end this episode of America on the Road. The hour goes so fast, Chris. I enjoy talking to you and chatting about what's going on in the car industry. Uh, so much is always going on. And here's a listener question that I think uh, speaks to that. Freddie in Pensacola, Florida asks or says, I've been hearing a lot about vehicles catching fire recently. Is this a new trend? or the result of more EVs on the road, electric vehicles on the road. What do you think? Well, what do you think, Chris?
1: Well, you're right. Time does fly when you're having fun. And because I was so psychically involved with what you were going to ask me, I did a quick Google search and found that a car catches fire every two minutes in the United States. That's according to the National Fire Protection Association. Uh, But that said... EVs aren't necessarily any more inclined to catching on fire than a standard car, uh, but it does take, at least from the firefighters' standpoint, uh, a lot more water and a different approach to putting it out because they do burn hotter, and there's, you know, all sorts of other things involved than in, that aren't just gasoline. So, uh, I'd say they're not necessarily more inclined to catch on fire, but they're they're more difficult to put out. What do you think, Jack?
0: Absolutely true. And I don't think a lot of us intuitively would think an EV would catch fire at all, right? I mean, you don't, you don't have that flammable fluid uh, that's coursing through it. But at the same time, uh, there are fluids and uh, they can get overheated and catch fire. And then you have, as you say, a difficult time putting it out. And you also have uh, high voltage electricity to deal with as a first responder. So neither of those is uh, particularly fun to deal with. No, I would say not. And I think that is our show for this week. Tune into our America on the Road podcast. It's on all the podcast outlets out there. So if you miss something about this week's show, you can hear the whole thing over again. And you can find out how tall Chris is. Uh, hint, he's six feet tall. Uh, And uh, so check that out, America on the Road podcast on all the podcast platforms. And thanks so much for being with us. Thanks to Mercury for sponsoring America on the Road. And uh, again, thanks to Chris for co-hosting. Join us again next week, if you would, for another edition of America on the Road. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. And if you're looking to buy a new car or a used car or just care about cars, go to DrivingToday.com. That's DrivingToday.com where you'll find all kinds of automotive information all the time. DrivingToday.com, the official automotive website of America on the Road.